This is a fun text. Very convicting text. But a fun text. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 21. And the question I have for today is, is drinking alcohol a sin? Very quiet there, huh? And I want, I want you to think about this because uh, I'm part of the IFCA. The church is an IFCA church. Some of you guys know that. It's Italian funny Christians of America. And uh, I fit perfectly in that group and uh, really enjoy it. And not one amen. But anyway, um, for years, <laughs> for years, 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 and I don't know how many years, but a long, long time, you could not drink any alcohol and be a part of the IFCA. And two to uh, three years ago, uh, in 2000, I think it was 18 or 17, I forget which one it was, um, they had a meeting to change the Constitution for the first time and to change it and to add that, yes, you can drink and be part of the IFCA. So let's raise our glass to them. <laughs> and have a good time. <laughs> no, don't worry. It's, well, I won't tell you what it is. But anyway, is drinking alcohol a sin? I mean, you grow up and you think about that. And, you know, some churches, they preach it. Some schools, uh, I, I teach at a school that, that holds a position of... Yes, uh, yes, it is a sin that you need to avoid it at all costs and that you should never touch the stuff. And, um, and as missionaries to Argentina, we were always in a dilemma because uh, they drink. 95% of people drink there. And you would go over to their house and they would hide their wine behind the refrigerator so we wouldn't see it. You know, and uh, I would look and see if it's a good stuff. If not, I would just leave it. But anyway, but I mean, they would hide their stuff and, you know, it almost became hypocritical. Uh, where they were scared to mention it. Now, let's let's think biblically for a moment. We're going to mention a few verses, and then I'm not going to answer the question just yet. Is drinking alcohol a sin? Well, we know that Jesus turned water into what? And I don't buy this. It was grape juice. This was the good wine. Um, and and uh, they know it. And, I, and I'm guessing, I mean, the, the text doesn't say, but he turned it into wine. He, he assumed that they're going to drink it. I mean, he didn't just do it for any nothing, you know, and just say, oh, I'm going to turn into wine just to show you how wonderful I am. He turned into wine, assuming that they would drink it. And, and that's an amazing thing. I know you heard the story of the pastor that was pulled over, and he was going all over the road. And uh, the, uh, the cop goes, uh, Pastor, it looks like you're drunk. He goes, I'm not drunk. He goes, yeah, it looks like you're drunk. He goes, uh, but what's in the glass? He goes, it's, it's water. And the cop takes it and takes it. Pastor, this is, this is strong wine. You're kidding me. Jesus did it again. Yeah, right? <laughs> Can't use that one, right? Cam, was that a good one? No, bad one. <laughs> you guys are a rough crowd. But he turned water into wine. You look us in the Bible. Paul told Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to drink wine to help with the stomach. 
He had some problems. And we know back then that the water back then had bacteria in it. And the wine would purify the water. The wine would help the water. So they would often add wine in that. And it would also help the health. I have a a friend who's in the IFCA that every night he has to drink a glass of wine. He doesn't like wine, but every night I told him, I'm thankful I'm not in your situation because if I did, that one would be two to three to four to five. And especially after a tough Sunday, I'm, the whole bottle's going down. But hey, every night he has to for his health. Something's wrong with his health. So he told Timothy to drink some wine. Uh, church leaders can use it moderately. Isn't it amazing that when it talks about the elders in the church, it says in the Bible, not given the wine. But when it talks about deacons, they cannot be given too much wine. And so they get away with it. You're like, uh, I remember in Little League one time and. And they were having a tournament on Sunday. And I said, yeah, I can't be there. I'm the pastor. I, I got to be at church. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm a deacon. I can miss church. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So here you look at the characteristics of deacons and it's not given too much wine. It doesn't say no wine at all, not much wine. And then the psalmist, this is a, this is a wonderful life verse, right, for some people. The psalmist says wine is a gift of God. It makes people happy. It makes your heart happy. So, so drink, the psalmist is saying. Now, careful with that. Because we look at these verses and we understand that the wine back then really wasn't the wine that we're drinking right now. And it was different in some senses. It wasn't grape juice, but it wasn't to the, to the, what it is now. And we look at some of these verses and we try to say that, yeah, wine is this, wine is that. But really the Bible doesn't forbid it. But let me tell you, the Bible has a lot to say about the dangers of drinking. A lot to say about the dangers of drinking. One of the things that it says here, it says wine can cause a brother to stumble. Be careful with this. It's interesting that Paul says, I will not eat meat. I will not do that or drink wine if that causes my brother to stumble. And I think about the situation I am in as a pastor. Can you imagine me counseling somebody who's struggling with a drink and I have a glass of wine right next to him? I mean, I would cause him to what? Stumble. Now, I love beer, root beer. Amen. I love root beer. And I thank God there's so many other drinks out there that we can drink. And uh, one of the main reasons why I personally don't drink is I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody in the Christian faith. And especially the people that I get to counsel and see their lives destroyed over alcohol. Who am I to pull out a glass of alcohol and drink it in front of them? So wine can cause a brother to stumble. Wine can take away the understanding. Somebody says, no, I think better when I'm drunk. No, you don't. And, and, and really, they did a study. Are you ready for this? They did a study. Of, of, they gave people a driving test. These were truck drivers, people who really knew how to drive. And they put them in between cones. They had to go back and forth in between cones. And so what they did is they gave them a test. Everyone passed the test, didn't touch a cone. They gave them one glass of beer. One glass of beer, each one of them. Guess how many didn't touch a cone? Zero. They all hit the cones. One glass of beer. And they said to him, look what this can do to your mind. Be careful when you're on the road. 
It takes away some of our understanding. You read the Proverbs. It's amazing. Proverbs 23, verses 32 to 35. It talks about the smooth drink going down. And look what it says here in verse 32. This is amazing. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. It paralyzes people. It changes lives. It destroys lives. In fact, he mentions in the next verse, in verse 33, your eyes will see strange things. Isn't it amazing how, how sometimes people, when they're drunk, they see UFOs? <laughs> and all kinds of stuff out there? And their mouth utters perverse things? My grandfather loved Seagram 7. And he would drink it, and we'd go walking around, and he starts singing. Everybody loves somebody sometime. And I'm in love with you. What are you looking at, you bum? I'm in love with you. I'm like, Grandpa, we're going to get into a fight here. And he's picking fights with this guy and that guy, and he's ready to beat up the whole world. His mouth was out of control when he drank. He just, his mouth would just perverse things. His mind saw strange things. Your mind, your, your mouth will say things. Look at this here. You'll be one that lies down like in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. You know what he's talking about there? Vomiting. You get nauseous. Ever see a drunk get nauseous? I've been there more than I like to say. And then look at this next one. This is a convicting verse. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. This is the person who wakes up with the hangover, but he's still alive. And he says, I made it through the night. Isn't this wonderful? I made it through the night. I mean, it was some night. I was all over the place. I threw up on everybody. I did all these kinds of things. I picked a fight. But I'm here. And guess what he says here? When I shall awake and I shall see what? Another drink. Look how addictive this is. That no matter what the consequence, the lost job, the lost marriage, the lost friend, Another drink is still right there. I'll never forget when, when, when a friend of mine got drunk and they were in a car together and the guy that she was with died in the car. She needed to get surgery on her face. They got into a terrible car accident. They were all drunk. She needed to get three times surgery on her face. I thought for sure she'll never touch another drink. A year later, I'm at a party and where's she doing? She's got a beer in her hand. She's back to drinking again. I said, you saw your friend die. You needed three surgeries. But that did not stop her from wanting another drink. Isn't that amazing? The dangers of drinking. And so when we talk about it and we say, yeah, you know, I can't go to a verse and say, you know what, don't do this. There's plenty of verses in the Bible that talk about the dangers of it and what it can do to our lives. I like to say before you, I've never been drunk, but I can't say that. I, I like to say that there's never been a night where I woke up the next day and didn't know what I did the night before, but I can't say that. And I'll tell you, that is one of the hardest places to be when you don't know what happened the night before. I can't say I never rolled in my own throw up because I have. I've been there. I never was better for it. I'm thankful by God's grace. I don't drink. I don't need to drink right now. I love root beer. I'll drink a lot of those. And I thank God there's many other things out there. But let me just tell you, I've seen it destroy lives, marriages. 
I was, a, I was a young person in college. We were walking out of a rodeo one time. And as we were walking out of a rodeo, we hear, psh, 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 psh. And I'm like, what in the world's going on? And as we got closer, because it was all dark, there was no lights, our car was in the parking lot, I see this guy beating his wife. Psh, psh, blood everywhere. Drunk out of his mind. Me and my three friends... We said, what are you doing? Stop that. What are you, how are you hitting this woman? We stopped him from hitting the woman. We told the woman, Can we, we'll help you. We'll take you home. She goes, no, no. I want to get back in the car with my husband. Blood everywhere. I've seen it destroy lives. And that's why I don't want to touch this stuff. But Paul doesn't say, don't drink any wine. So I can't even go there. What he says here in verse 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine. There's a difference. He's saying, don't get in the excess. Don't lose that self-control. Look what happens. Dissipation or debauchery or some call it excess. Or you lose that self-control and you start to enter into a life and do detestable acts. Here's what's interesting about this. In the church of Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus, what they would do is they really believed if they got drunk, that they would have an encounter with their goddess and that somehow their goddess would control them and they'd be united to her and they would have special abilities. So they sought the bottle to unite with their goddess. Isn't that amazing? And he's saying, don't go there. Don't, don't get drunk with wine. Don't, don't go and lose that self-control. Don't, don't try to get into that place where you're going to be doing distasteful acts, where you're doing things that you regret later. Don't go there. Here's where you ought to go. You ought to be filled with the Spirit. Now, now this is important because when I hear the word fill, it's a little different than what the Bible talks about. When I hear the word fill, I think I need to fill my gas tank because it's empty. I think I, I need to fill the, the bathtub because it's empty. You know, take a nice bath, fill it up. Or fill my glass. I need more water here. I think of something that's empty. And that's not what Paul is talking about. The moment someone gets saved, we have all of the Spirit of God. That's not the question. We are not empty of the Spirit. It's not like we need the Spirit to fill because we're so empty. No, that's not what it's talking about. When he talks about being filled, he's talking about being controlled. This is important. When you look in the Bible, the word filled means to be controlled. It means to be, you see people filled with wrath. That means they're controlled by their wrath. When they're filled with envy, they're controlled by envy. When they're filled with grief, they're controlled by grief. When they're filled with joy, they're controlled by joy. They're dominated by joy. I think it's sometimes Rick's jokes um, and how they get me. And I'll be in bed at night, and Katie can tell you, and the bed will start moving. I can't stop laughing. They're so dumb. <laughs> they make no sense at all. They're the worst jokes I've ever heard in my life. And I'm there dying. And Katie's like, are you having a heart attack? I was like, I, Rick, you got to see him today. It was amazing. And I'm dying. I can't stop. I'm controlled by it. We've been there when we've been controlled by, by fear. Something scares you. And you're just ready to get controlled. Some things really scare me. Mice scare me. We went on vacation. A mouse came out and the thing. I'm up on the couch. Get it! Get it! 
scares me. Little things like that scare me. And so we know what it means to be dominated by that. What he's saying is be dominated by the Spirit of God. Allow the Spirit of God to control you. Allow the Spirit of God to fill you. And I'm, I'm here to tell you something. This is interesting. Uh, what this one guy says. Look at this, what he says about when it comes to being filled with the Spirit of God. The next slide here when Kaylee gets up. I know she's taking a nap. With the indwelling <laughs> each Christian has of the Spirit, but the command to be filled by the Spirit to have all of the believers. So the question today is not this. Do you have all of the Spirit? The question today is, does the Spirit have all of you? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, I need more of the Spirit, more of the Spirit, give me the Spirit. Sit down in your chair, breathe, and you'll have more of the Spirit. Amen? I love that one. No, no. It's asking, does the Spirit have all of you and me? Let me let's look at this before we even move on. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. He's not just giving a suggestion. This is not something that we could ignore. This is not something we could say, okay, maybe that's for somebody else. No, this is a command for all of us. It's a plural command, a present tense command. I'm sorry. It's a present tense command, which means this is a moment by moment thing. This is not a one time, I'm going to be filled with the Spirit today and forget about it tomorrow. No. This is a moment-by-moment moment thing. There's times when we can be filled with the Spirit. Two minutes later, filled with fear. I love how right after Peter and Jesus asked Peter, so who am I, Peter? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He goes, wow, this is amazing. And then he goes, I'm, I'm going I'm to go on the cross and I'm going to die. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, what did he say to Peter? What are you doing? Satan has filled you. He just went from saying you are the Christ, the Son of God, two minutes later, Satan filled him with I mean, that can happen to us. And so it's a present tense command. This is a moment by moment thing. It is also a plural command. It's not just for the leadership of the church or a few people in the church. This is for the whole church. Everyone in the church. Everyone who's a believer. And it is a passive command, which means that this is not something like a just a little ritual or a formula. Wouldn't it be great if the Bible said all we need to do is sit in a chair, breathe in, and we're filled with the Spirit? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, that would make things simple, wouldn't it? So you can say just before you're about to fight with your spouse, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm sitting down. Okay. <laughs> what were we arguing about? <laughs> The Spirit just came. I'm, I'm okay now. I won't fight with you. You're just about to get into uh, somebody cuts you off on the road. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Got the Spirit. I'm fine. I wish it was just a little ritual for It's not. You know what it is? It's really this. It's yielding and allowing the Spirit of God to have control. It's a matter of the will. It is, it is saying to God, I am going to yield to the Holy Spirit. I am going to allow the Holy Spirit. I am going to immerse myself in God's word. I'm going to say no to sin. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to fill me, to control me, to take over, to dominate my being. It's a matter of the will here. It's yielding to him. Instead of yielding to something else or going to something else to get you through your problem, whatever it may be, it could be a drink, it could be food, it could be anything. 
It's allowing the Holy Spirit to dominate your being. It's a passive command. We don't do it to ourselves. The Holy Spirit does it to us. But remember, it's not asking for more of the Spirit. The Spirit is asking for more of us. You say, so what does a person look like? I want to see some sure signs of somebody who's filled with the Spirit of God. And, and I like this, some sure signs that we are filled. Right here in the text, it tells us. Now, we know in other passages of the Bible that when Peter preached, he was filled with the Spirit. When we witness, we're filled with the Spirit. And so there's, there's those signs as well. But right here in the passage, look what it talks about, of being filled with the Spirit of God. What is going to happen to someone when they're filled with the Spirit of God? Notice verse 19. We will what? Sing. You ready for this? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let me, let me just say this. This doesn't mean that the church turns into an opera and all we do is sing to each other. <laughs> Have you seen that movie, Les Miserables or whatever that is, Miserables or whatever that movie is, where all they do is sing to each other? My brother-in-law made me watch that. He goes, you know what? I can do without the singing. The whole thing is singing. <laughs> how, how, I mean, can you imagine coming to church and, how are you, Ellie? Are you doing good today? And she comes back at me, I am. I can't get up with singing. I can't get up that high. And all of a sudden, we're nuts with each other, right? That's not what it's saying. But here's what it is saying. When the Spirit of God grabs control of a believer, he's going to put a song in our hearts. And we are going to bust out in song. And it is going to come out of our mouths. And I thank God that when we come to our church, I know there's been some arguments over music and what type of music should we sing and all that. And Brian's bore the brunt of that sometimes. And that's why it's always good to have somebody else. And you don't have to deal with this as a pastor you know, and deal with that. But I'll tell you, we've had people come here, and I thank the Lord. They come here and they say, the church is alive. People sing. You ever been to a church when no one sings? Maybe it is because no one has the Spirit of God. Or maybe it is that the Spirit of God doesn't have the believer. And see, what it's saying here is when the Spirit of God takes control of a believer, the song is going to be in their heart. You study the Bible out. You look at Paul and Silas. They're in the midst of a terrible trial. They just got beat. They're in jail. And what are they doing? They're praying and what? Singing. The song comes out of their heart. You say, what kind of songs? Notice this here. This is amazing what it says. It says it comes in psalms. Really, what, 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 what the Spirit of God will produce in us is these Old Testament songs, these Old Testament scriptures with, with the plucking of strings. Those were the Psalms back then. And they would sing them. You look at David. He sang Psalm 23. He sang these songs, these Psalms. So the Psalms come out of us. Notice what else comes out of us. Hymns. Uh-oh. Are we a hymn James only church? Hymns. Now, what's your favorite hymn? Anybody want to tell me their favorite hymn? What's that? I missed that one. Yeah, Old Rugged Cross. Did you, did you say a number? I don't know the numbers. <laughs> did you say page 156? Some people do that. What's that? Old Rugged Cross? 
Amazing Grace. Anybody else got a favorite hymn? Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Guess what? They, they sang none of those. <laughs> none of those existed. You know the hymns in the Bible? You want to know what hymns they sang? They sang Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5. And chapter 5. They sang the Revelation song that talks about how worthy God is. Those were Christian hymns back then. Not the hymns that we fight about now. They have nothing to do with the biblical hymns. In fact, some of the hymns were in Colossians chapter 1 when it talks about who Jesus is and, and, and how Jesus Christ is preeminence and all that. And the scriptures, hymns, biblical hymns in the Bible, when we talk about hymns and real hymns and not Charles Wesley's hymns, which were great, but when we talk about biblical hymns, they were songs that focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ. They were biblical. And guess what else they were? They were contemporary. I didn't get one amen. <laughs> Somebody says, I like the old hymns. Praise God, you like the old hymns, but we're not talking about the hymns in Ephesians 5.19. I like some of the old hymns too. I love them. In fact, Charles Wesley realized, hey, singing is important in the church. This is part of being filled with the Spirit. He wrote how many hymns? 6,000 of them. Martin Luther said, you know what? We got to get hymns back in the church. He brought hymns back into the church. And so we know that hymns are important, but we're talking about songs that focus on the personal work of Jesus. And are you ready for this? Spiritual songs. Songs that, that, that the Spirit of God puts in our songs of praise that comes from the heart. When, when the Spirit takes control of a believer, they have a song in their heart and it busts out when they're around other people in church. Ellie loves to sing. Absolutely loves it. Johnny loves to sing too. They both love to sing. Sometimes their singing drives me crazy. <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to study and I'm sitting there thinking about something and, then, and their song brings my mind somewhere else. You know, it's a, a, a song. You just start singing and they got beautiful voices, you know, take after me. Amen. But you know, they, they bring my mind somewhere else. I'm like, I need quiet. I'm trying to study here and you got me, you know, Jesus. All right, all right. This is... And she got me. She goes, Dad, you're stopping me from being filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Sing away. Thank God for AirPods. You know when someone's controlled with the Spirit because they have a song in their heart. The Scriptures start coming out of their hearts and when they're together with other people, it is making melody where? In your heart to God. You see, singing is a heart issue. Sometimes we don't know the song. I understand that. I didn't know Psalm 150 today. That was a little harder to sing. I'd never heard it before. But other times we make it about us and not about God. It is making melody in your heart to who? To the Lord. Someone says, I can't sing. Who can? It's to the Lord. Why do you think I sit in the front row so nobody can hear me except the praise team? Why do you think I'm all worried whether or not the microphone is on? Because I don't want you to hear me. But it's to the Lord. I love Ray's line. You may have a heavenly voice, but we don't have heavenly ears. <laughs> it's a great one, isn't it? But who cares? It's to the Lord. 
It is the Spirit of God taking control of the believer and all of a sudden he will sing. So how do we know that we are Spirit-filled? We sing. We have this vertical song to the Lord and it instructs other people as well. Notice the next thing here. We, we sing, not only that, we say thanks. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Now this is hard for us because I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I like to complain. I, I'm with you. I can find something negative in anything. I'm with you. As a pastor, I struggle. One of my biggest struggles, and you can pray for me in this, is one of my biggest struggles. Instead of thanking God for the people who come on Sunday, I'm upset at the ones who don't. And I, at negative in my heart, instead of saying, God, thank you for bringing the one. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God. I'm like, where was so-and-so today? Are they okay? And, and my heart's not right. Instead of thanking God that we live in Colorado and the beautiful mountains that we have, oh, the smoke. We find everything negative. And I say, thank God we don't live in Kansas. Amen. <laughs> it's the only state you can look the furthest and see the least. <laughs> and you're complaining about the smoke? Come on. Imagine living there. But we can always find something wrong with something. And our minds go there. I don't know about you. It's my, one of my biggest... I, my mind goes there. Instead of rejoicing at the goodness of God and thanking Him for what He's doing in our lives, we are criticizing, we are negative, we are sour in our spirits. And that is not spirit-filled. When the Spirit of God takes control of our lives, we will say thank you. We will be grateful. It may, we may not be grateful, and it's not saying here that, you know, if people take this verse and they really manipulate it and they really make people feel guilty about it. It says, always giving thanks for all things. So, oh, you got cancer today? Thank God for your cancer. Oh, you got COVID? You're about to die. Thank God for your COVID. That's not what it's saying. How can we thank God in all things? Here, here's how we can thank God in all things. There's one thing that will never change, and that's God and His person. So in the midst of whatever happens to us, we can always thank God for remaining the same. And you know what else we can thank God for? We know that all things work together for what? Good. So we can thank God for that. Doesn't say, oh, thank you, Lord, for the king. Thank you for COVID. Thank you for all the. No, thank you, God, that you remain the same. COVID hasn't changed you. And thank you, God, that you're able to use this sickness to make me more like your son. That's what we can do. It says we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. I went to school with a guy named David Witcher. He was one of the most talented preachers I've, I've seen. Gifted missionary kid. His parents were missionaries in Mexico. He was very gifted. Took a church out in California. He was bilingual. He led him in English, led him in Spanish. It was amazing. He had two services. He was preaching. Amazing servant of the Lord. They bought a house, and he had his office on the bottom of the house, and in that house it had a carbon monoxide leak. And he got poisoning. And he didn't know what was happening, but he was walking in Walmart and his body couldn't stop shaking. He was getting these headaches and nosebleeds and he didn't know. 
And by the time they figured it out, it was too late. He had to leave the pastorate, could no longer preach. And I'll never forget the video that he put out. I mean, can you imagine this? And here he is, he's shaking, shaking. And he's thanking God for who he is. In the midst of God changing his whole life, stopping him from doing something he was very talented in doing and gifted in doing, he thanks the Lord. We can do that. We can do that. He's still alive, got a beautiful family. I praise the Lord. His wife, what a, what a treasure to, to a husband like that, take care of him the way she does. Amazing family. Giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So when the Spirit of God controls us, there will be thankfulness coming out of our lips and praise coming out of our lips. But notice this last thing here. We will sing, we will say thanks, and we will what? Oh, we don't like this one. Anybody in the military? Let's say the word together. Summit! I have yet to meet somebody going to the military and say, you know what, I don't care what they say, I'm not submitting. Oh, yes, you are. Anybody go in the military and say, what? I got to get up a certain hour. I'm getting up when I want. I'm going on vacation when I want. I'm going to do what I want. Anybody? Does that work in the military? You military guys, would that work? It ain't going to work. I mean, try it. You're, you're out. Don't worry about it. It'll work. And yet we think in other forms of life, God has a, a, a the word really is a military word here. And that military word is to put yourself under the rank of somebody else or, or, or submit or have a willingness to submit to someone else. Now, here's what makes this hard here. It says here, be subject to who? One another. Notice this in verse 21. Be subject to one another. It doesn't say the leadership of the church. It says who? One another. And so what he's saying is, Adults, even the kids. And I don't care what the, the race is or what the nationality or what how long they've been in the Christian faith or any of those things. It doesn't put any qualification. It says submit to one another. Here's what it's saying. It's saying there must be a willingness in the Christian fellowship to serve any, to learn from any, to be corrected by any, regardless of age, Gender, class, or any other division. It's not just saying go to the people who know the Bible, left and right. It says submit to everyone here in the church. I'm learning more and more as a father that my kids know things better than I do. And it's easy for me as a father to say, well, they're just a teenager. They know nothing. Well, you know, I'm the father. I know. And it's hard for me to say, okay, what do you want to do? Okay, let's do that. Sometimes I listen to them and I end up worse off than I am. But that's okay. Because a heart that's willing to submit, that's spirit-filled, is a heart that's willing to serve anyone in the church. A heart that's willing to learn from anyone in the church. A heart that's willing to be corrected by anyone in the church. And a heart that, regardless of age, gender, class, or any other division, a heart that says, you know what? I can learn from one another. It's amazing when we open up our hearts how many different people can teach us. 
But there's times when self takes control and we say, yeah, I'm not going to learn from so-and-so. He's arrogant. Or I'm not going to learn from so-and-so. He thinks he knows the whole Bible. I'm not going to talk to so-and-so. No, listen. Have a heart that's willing to submit to one another. Can you imagine Jesus washing the feet of arrogant, prideful disciples? And he didn't look at him and say, hey, you know what, Peter, you're an arrogant guy, but come over here, I'll wash your feet anyway. He did it anyway. And so we are to do that as well. And the only way that we could do that is if the Spirit of God takes control of our lives and stops us from saying, you know what, so-and-so can't teach me anything. So, who is so-and-so to correct me? Get out of here. You're not so-and-so. The Spirit of God says, no, listen. Submit. Learn. Accept. Regardless of who that person is. We do that in the fear of the Lord. So here, here's the question. Are you filled with the Spirit? Is there music in your soul? Is there thankfulness on your lips? Is there submission in your life? If not, one or two things is happening. One, which is probably the scariest of the two, the Spirit of God is not even in you. And that, my friends, is the difference between heaven and hell. Because if we don't have the Spirit, we're not saved. As simple as that. Paul says, whoever doesn't have the Spirit is not his. So that means that what do we need to do first? Instead of asking the Spirit of God to fill us, we need to get saved. We need to admit that we're sinners, believe that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and call upon him to save us, and he will. He will. Something is wrong. If there's never music in the soul, thankfulness in the heart, and submission in our life, something is off. And somebody said, but I go to church. That doesn't mean we have the Spirit of God. Or I read the Bible. That doesn't mean we have the Spirit of God. We receive the Spirit the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. But then you say, I've done that, Jeremy, but there's still not music in my soul. There's not thankfulness in my heart and my lips and submission in my life. Well, this means then the Spirit of God doesn't have all of you. And this is between... You and him. I wish that I could do something to manipulate that, but I can't. This is a hard issue. I think of all the things in this world that we couldn't control. I couldn't control my height. If I could, I'd be 6'9". <laughs> Probably not that tall. That's a little too tall. 6'8". I couldn't control my parents. I didn't choose them. I'm thankful for them. Italians. I praise God for that. <laughs> couldn't choose my hair color, my eye color. God did that. So a lot of things in my life, I, I could my brother, I didn't choose him. God gave me one brother. That was God, all God. But there is one thing I do have control over, and that's my will. And I can choose or not to submit that to the Spirit. Amen. And the question is, are we going to do that? And yield to Him and say, control me. I want your will, not mine. And it's amazing when He does. The song comes in the heart. The thankfulness comes out of the lips and submission comes to one another.
and our lives are different because he's in control, not us. Let's bow in prayer. As I I look at this text and I, (laughs) I see how hard it is to obey. I like to be in control. To allow the Spirit of God to control our lives. But right where you are, let me ask you, are you, are you Spirit-filled? I'm not looking at you. My eyes are closed. This is a question between you and the Lord. Something is wrong. If there's not songs in your heart, thankfulness on your lips, and submission in your life. Don't just go through the motions. It may be that you need the Spirit of God to come into your life for the first time. Well, right now is the time. It's not your church that will save you, it's not your pastor, it's not your friends. It's not even walking into this building that will save you. His name is Jesus. He came and he died for all your sins, past, present, and future. Was buried and rose again. Right now where you are, you can call upon him and he'll come into your life and he will save you. So I beg you not to wait. And then, and then I, I pray for those who have done that and ask you, do you feel dry, weary, filled with everything else except the Spirit? Now's the moment to say, I'm going to yield my will to the Spirit and allow Him to control my life. Now remember, this is not a one-time decision. This is a moment-by-moment decision. This needs to come up over and over again when you're in your home, at work, in the car, wherever you are. Allow the Spirit of God to fill you and control you. This is not a suggestion. This is a command from the Bible. It's not a ritual. It's a matter of the will. We need to ask for it and allow it Father, as we come before you, we realize how easy it is to take control of our own lives, to be the captains of our own ships, to guide things in our own wisdom instead of yielding to your Holy Spirit. So, Father, use this text as a reminder to us. I needed it. How moment by moment as we walk in this world, how much we need the Spirit of God to control us, to dominate our being. And when He does, Lord, the song will come in our hearts and on our lips and thankfulness will come out of our mouths and submission in our lives. Things will be so different when we allow Him to control. So, Father, I pray... 
Maybe there's someone here that's fighting that right now. That you would work in that heart and say, I am willing to yield. Here I am. I have all of you. Now you can have all of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand with us. We're going to sing that song, Let the Nation.